in this episode, you will never guess what is a key driver of successful business outcomes, then improvement in forecasting and planning around lightning strikes. gas has always challenged technology. Now it's time for tech to challenge back. Come hear how the best minds in the industry are making those solutions a reality on the Oil and Gas Technology Podcast with your host, Mark LaCour. Hey folks, before we get to our guest today, please, please, please do me a favor, leave a review. It's the number way to support the show. Basically, when people are combing through the millions of podcasts and iTunes, the ones that have four and five stars, they stop and pay attention. So it's a way for you to help your peers find the show. And speaking of helping the show, leave us a review, just like T. Renimator did from the United States. Mark, I appreciate the excellent topics that you and your guests bring to life to help us understand the technical landscape in oil and gas better. Looking forward to more great shows in 2020. And if you want a shout out like T. Renmeter, just give me a review and I'll be happy to give you a shout out. And today we're sitting here with David Gold with IBM. How are you doing today, David? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Mark. Oh, anytime. This is not our first time together on the microphone. That's right. It's not. Second time. Our second time. Hopefully one day we get to release the first one. Before we get into what we want to talk about today, I want a real big shout out to Nutanix, the sponsor of the show. If you need help modernizing your data center and running applications at any scale, on-prem or in the cloud, these are the folks you want to talk to. So, David, you're the chief meteorologist at IBM. Yeah, so technically on the business side. So for IBM services, there's actually a whole team of meteorologists in the weather company, which is an IBM business. So I like to draw that clear distinction because they actually have few chefs in the kitchen. But the head of global forecast sciences over there is Dr. Peter Neely. And then there's actually environmental scientist Lloyd Trainish and his team in IBM Research. So there's a few of us scattered around the company. So I'm on the business side. I don't know Lloyd. I've never met him. I've heard his name. He's he's pretty infamous. He is. In that world. Yeah. So he played a key role in developing some of the sort of adapting some of the technologies, for example, numerical weather prediction, environmental modeling. I think he was the originator of the term deep thunder which is sort of IBM's brand name for their high-resolution weather model. Now, of course, things have changed, and the landscape has become a little more complex because the weather company kind of took that name over for their own numerical weather prediction model. And now, of course, they've got graph. But yeah, I mean, Lloyd was one of the pioneers and one of the original innovators in the environmental modeling and weather space here at IBM. Yeah, it's really fascinating. I remember one day when I opened the Weather Channel app, and at the bottom it said an IBM company. And it took me about a minute, and I'm going, the data. It's the data, right? That's what you're after. And so I think it's just like a perfect match. Absolutely. The data and the platform. I mean, I know that one of the things that kind of came to mind when the decision was being formulated is, you know, my goodness, what kind of a platform does it take to be able to disseminate, to create and disseminate all of that weather information to, you know, millions of people around the world. In fact, the system is able to handle, you know, 25 to 50 billion API calls a day. So I think that was also a consideration. That is crazy. If you don't know what an API call, that basically means there's another piece of software talking to it that many times a day. Yep. That's insane. All right. So a couple of things that I want to talk about real quick. So first thing is, in oil and gas, there's still people out there that still think IBM manufactures hardware. You make boxes. But IBM has, has outgrown that 20 years ago. Now you're doing very intensive 
analytics and helping businesses understand business problems, and one of which is weather. Absolutely. I mean, you got to keep in mind, IBM is a very old company, a very old and venerated organization, and it's reinvented itself many times. And along the way, it's become the, I think it's the number one patent generator in the world for a long time running. And yeah, I mean, now it's, it's a big cloud and cognitive computing and analytics company, and weather is a key component of that. Let's talk a little about weather. So most people, they think about weather. They think about how I need a dress to go to work. But in our industry, weather impacts so much of the business and also things like our health, safety, environmental metrics. That's right. Weather is a key driver of business outcomes. It's not just for consumers. And so many people may be surprised. They are surprised when it comes up in dinner conversations, just how influential weather is in driving business outcomes and how the extent to which businesses go nowadays to account for it in their planning. Yeah. So the first thing that pops in my mind, because I was literally, I mean, literally hip deep in it was Katrina, right? So when Katrina hit, I can't name the name of the super major, but with the day that New Orleans flooded, I was in a super major helicopter over New Orleans and it was all about protecting their people and their assets and then protecting the environment because that area of the Gulf Coast had never experienced anything like that. And it was tremendous the way it negatively impacted oil and gas business, everything from refineries to pipelines to exploration and production, everything was shut down because nobody had ever experienced that before. That's right. And then, of course, remember that back then in 2005, much more of our production was coming from the Gulf of Mexico from offshore than onshore. That was, of course, several years before the shale revolution kicked in. And so, you know, production impacts from hurricanes like Katrina and then Rita just a few weeks later were just simply devastating. They were far greater. Not that they're not impactful today because I think we still have about something like, what, 11 or 12% of production is offshore, but it's not nearly as impactful as it was back then. Yeah, and the other thing that people don't realize, because I worked for Bell South at that time, which was part of the telecom grid, and for the 120-year history of Bell South, we had never lost our network, ever, because we grew up in Hurricane Alley, and we came this close. We are the only network that was still up. I got videotape of us ferrying supplies on our main office on Poitras Street because 89 years ago when they built that building, the engineers knew where the water would be, the water level would be if it ever flooded, and they were right. But we came this close to losing everything because we had never planned that all the refineries in Louisiana were shut down. So all of the generator sets that were running, all the emergency equipment were used to being supplied by refineries in Louisiana, and we were having to truck to Texas. And so literally something like that, just the weather, didn't allow us to have the fuel to keep operations running. And if that would have happened, if they would have shut down and lost the network, everything would have went dark, right? And so, you know, the impact of weather on operations cannot be stressed. And I mean, think, look at places like North Dakota or even, you know, Siberia or Russia, where you have windows of operation. So the ability to forecast that weather is unbelievably important. Yeah, you just you brought something up that's also really key, which is the interdependency, different businesses depending on one another. We're in a very interconnected world and a very interconnected economy. So that's a good example, the one you just gave of how one business is very dependent on the ability of another business or, or sector to produce. And you're absolutely right that, you know, especially in, in a business like oil and gas, think about the amount of dollars that go by each hour, right? Think about the cost of the crews. Think about the cost of the equipment you're leasing. Think about the amount of money that is made when you produce a certain unit of oil every hour. If you're offline, those deferments are very, very expensive. 
unbelievably expensive. Even things like pipelines, you lose connectivity to pipelines because of a weather incident, and that pipeline's no longer flowing product. It could be a million dollars an hour in lost revenue. Yep. All right. So the weather is a factor in making critical business decisions, but a lot of people discount it and they think, ah, it's just the weather. It's going to rain or snow. It's it's much bigger than that. Yeah. So the old attitude of I can just simply write off weather loss as something that everybody has to, you know, suffer and just sort of a force majeure, an act of nature, something that we really can't do anything about. We just have to react to it. That excuse is gone. That excuse is long gone because our ability to predict the weather and our demonstrated success at driving this weather information into business decision platforms is so well established that if you look to your right and you look to your left, odds are really good that a competitor is using the weather to their advantage. You don't want to be the guy now that is not doing that because you'll actually be an anomaly. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about weather forecasting accuracy. A lot of people think about weather forecasting accuracy as their local news person coming on the news and saying what the forecast is going to be. It's much bigger than that. Yeah. So the improvement, the one thing I should point out is our improvement, the skill level of forecast has just really gone steadily up. I mean, a five-day forecast now I think is as accurate as a two-day forecast was in the 1980s when I first came into the business. So, you know, we now have the accuracy and the ability to deliver that forecast where and when it matters that it's possible to use it very effectively to make business decisions. I do want to say that, you know, the weather, the folks on television, you know, they're also using this weather data and their own expertise to make forecasts. Everybody across the weather industry has seen their game go up significantly because of the technological advances, improvements in weather forecasting capability. Yeah, well, this is all gas tech show, so can we kind of go deep into what the technology... So what technology has changed since the 80s? Well, first of all, not just for oil and gas, but just the power of the computers and our ability to represent the atmosphere and ocean in these computers to make good forecasts. That's improved. The quality of observations and the quantity of observations available to bring into these models when we start them up, that's improved. So think of all the satellite technology and and the data that's coming from these birds in the sky. The amount and the quality of that information is just dramatically improved, and that's made a big difference in the quality of the forecast. You know, and of course, we can talk specifically about the technology being used in oil and gas. There's just so much data that's been brought to bear on the problem. Just look at offshore, for example. Now it is not unusual to see a big oil company using a very sophisticated ocean prediction model to predict, you know, waves and currents and winds days ahead of time. And this is something that you just didn't see even 20 years ago. Yeah, and it's actually funny. I've actually seen it firsthand. I've seen drilling schedules in the North Sea, and the drilling schedules are all built around weather predictions because in the North Sea, that's a big difference between a four-foot swell and a 26-foot swell, right? That's right. You can get rogue waves out there that can exceed 60 to 70 feet. Yeah, crazy. And I've been out there. It's a beautiful part of the world, but it's not someplace I'd want to spend a lot of time working. Nothing against my Norwegian friends. So along the data sets, so one of the things that I'm always curious about is, you know, this is 2020. Our ability now to generate data is is probably unprecedented. The cost of sensors, the cost of transport, the cost of processing has gotten so cheap. 
But in the weather world, are y'all dealing with the same thing that a lot of other industries are in that now you have to figure out what to do with all of this data because you have so much data coming in? Yes, it's a massive problem, a massive challenge. We generate hundreds of terabytes. We ingest hundreds of terabytes of data every day into our system, and we maintain petabytes of data. To put this in perspective, I mean, that's on the order of, I think, what the Netflix catalog is. It's just an enormous, and the amount of data that's coming at us from different sources is not going down, right? It seems like every year a new satellite system comes online, producing higher and higher volumes of data. A new weather model gets injected into the picture, meaning we have to consider that piece of information in addition to all the others we've already had. It's a very, very big challenge. And so the weather enterprise, I think, is definitely grappling with some of the same challenges around big data. And we we have for quite some time as the industry itself. Okay, I got to geek out here a little bit because I was actually at IBM's Think Conference. Have you and your colleagues had a chance to play with quantum computing? So... Quantum computing is really cool. It's been on my to-do list to get online and use. I think they've actually got an online a system that's they available do. online. I have not personally played with it, but it is definitely on my to-do list. And the reason I brought that up, folks, is quantum computing, a lot of places it's theory at IBM. Not only is it not theory, it's real, tangible, and it's commercial. I actually got to see it, and you can go online. And I can't remember, I think they give you a little bit of free access, but you actually can buy some high-performance quantum computing cycles if you need to crunch as much data. I was just curious you got a chance to play with it because I totally geek out over that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's amazing. So I want to talk a little bit about the real business, the rubber-hit-the-road type of stuff. So it's great to talk about big data analytics, machine learning, and the amount of data it's coming and everything. But let's talk a little bit about some real examples of where IBM working with your clients, where your weather expertise helped them drive good business results. All right. I mean, we have several success stories that we can share. Of course, some of them we can't actually name the clients. Some of them get, you know, sort of they get a little worried that they're going to give up a strategic advantage. But for example, one I'm proud of is how we've helped keep a construction project on schedule for a global chemical manufacturing company by providing for them high-resolution, on-demand weather and letting them actually set thresholds around that weather. Let me give you an example. They like to operate cranes. They have to operate cranes at times. They can look at our forecast for wind at various atmospheric levels and get a sense as to when it's not such a great idea to deploy that crane. They can also determine in advance whether they're likely to have a lightning disruption and they can plan shifts around that a little bit differently. They've had situations before we came along where they had stranded their entire contractor workforce in the parking lot in their cars and couldn't get them onto the buses. They had to wait out lightning. We can help them proactively avoid that. It adds up to a lot of money. Another example is world. Oh, yeah, I want to stop. I was going to yeah. go back to that. So yeah. that is, what's so cool about that is you're affecting two things which are vital in this industry. Time on tool, which is a metric that everybody tracks, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And you're also tracking lost time incidents. So you're reducing the chance of people getting hurt. At the same time, you're making sure they're as productive as possible. That's right. It's not just one problem we're tackling. We're often killing the proverbial, you know, multiple birds with a single stone. That is pretty cool. You got another one? Yeah. So World Fuel Service, we actually helped re-engineer an app for pilots 
that was very outdated using a lot of old-fashioned weather charts. You know, in the old days, a lot of weather information would come over what was called the DIFAX machine, and, you know, it would be very paper-heavy, and we actually digitized that for them and opened up a new line of business and helped their business retention significantly by sort of modernizing this app for pilots, and, of course, that includes turbulence forecast and, you know, really good weather data. Yeah. So that must have been actually quite a feat because you're literally going back and taking something that was the bread and butter that was reliable that they've used for 50 years and having to convince them from a cultural point of view that you could do better than that because the pushback would have been, well, we've always done it this way. That's right. And I can tell you that when they saw the result, you know, they were very pleased with the output. That said, it was a significant effort. I mean, there were it took over 20 iOS software developers a long time to get this done, but it was worth it. Big shout out to Apple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually had a conversation with it. I don't think it's going to go anywhere, but just the fact that I engage with a marketing person at Apple, you know, it makes me feel good about it. Anything else you have? Any other customer success stories? Oh, there's many. I mean, I can cite Monsanto basically combining, you know, really, really high accuracy data coming off these sensors on tractors. You know, and they they give position and yield information and information about the state of crops. And we combine that with weather and help them get a much more granular view of the products, where they're located, where the healthier part of the crops are at a near harvest time. So that's a success story. Well, let me tell you what's cool about that. So now you're not wasting resources. So if you have that data, you don't need to water the whole field. You don't need to fertilize the whole field. You only do it where the plants are not as healthy as the other ones. That's right. We even did this for a big box retailer where we told them where and when to water the flowers in their gardening center based on weather conditions. That is so cool because, look, I love the big box guys. I'm also a bit of a gardener myself, and there's nothing worse – especially in the heat of the summer of going to want to go pick up some annuals or something and they're dead because somebody forgot to water them. Right. Then how much money did you save them by doing that? Jeez, that'd be millions yeah. of dollars. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Lots of money was was saved on an annual basis from that. And then, you know, we also have provided for years weather trading platforms, right, for energy trade floors and for utilities who want to, you know, get an edge by trading using the latest and greatest weather technology. I mean, think about natural gas traders, you know, you know how much weather impacts the price of natural gas. Now, granted, you know, things have changed structurally since the uh, 90s and early 2000s when natural gas, you know, futures contract might move a whole dollar on one run of the global forecast system. But still, there are times where that volatility shows up and they definitely want to be prepared for it. And so we actually have something called WSI Trader, which is something we, you know, that the the weather company has sold for years under their WSI brand. And that's still on many trade floors throughout the world. So I know that world a little bit. Number one, it's probably the most stressful job you could possibly have other than being in battle as a soldier. But the other thing is they need that data because they have to make split second financials decisions and it's all about the future. So if the Northeast of the U.S. is going to be half a degree cooler next winter than it was last winter, it changes the way they do their business. And that is probably the key being consistent in their trading is understanding the weather. Yes, that's right. And there too, there's no thought on the part of an energy trade floor that they're going to just leave the weather piece to chance. They are absolutely determined to get the best weather information they can in real time. And they've gone to great lengths. Some of these trade floors over the years have gone to great lengths to 
get that weather data faster than anyone else. There's some great stories around, you know, some of these uh, trade floors basically trying to run the government weather model ahead of the government. <laughs> That's funny. I actually know a lot of them have spent money building their own infrastructure so they could get those data points a microsecond or two quicker than their competitors. I mean, when you're building your own fiber infrastructure, that tells you how important that is. That's right. I used to have a hand in trying to get some of those speed increases to try to get weather data into. I was working on a trade floor and we were playing that game as well. Yeah. So great success stories. I mean, it shows you all the different parts of business that it touches. One of the things that's going on right now here in the U.S. and really kind of globally is we're in this hydrocarbon abundant world forever. The shell plays, the shell geology is not unique to the U.S. It's all over the world. It's just in the U.S. we have the infrastructure in place and the domain expertise to actually make a dollar off of it. Eventually, the rest of the world will catch up with us. But what's happening is because we're in a hydrocarbon abundant world, prices are low and they're going to stay low unless there's a blip for various reasons. And so it's all about driving efficiencies now. So if I'm a mid-sized operator and I've never really looked at weather other than keeping my people safe, how would you engage with IBM? Like, what would you work with them to help them understand how the weather could help drive efficiencies in their day-to-day operations? You know, I, I think you'd start by understanding where those efficiencies are most likely to be obtained. Just literally sitting down with, I don't want to name names, but just think of a, any operator, right, that's got people and equipment in the field. Anybody could come to mind. So we would first sit down and look at their specific portfolio and their specific exposures and understand what are the actions that we could take together to drive those efficiencies. And then from a weather standpoint, you would look at where does weather play into that? And you could start with something simple like you could take some of their operations data. It could even be in a spreadsheet or a series of spreadsheets and weather data and merge them together and align that data and then start doing analytics. Can we find the right questions to ask? Can we find some of these candidates for driving more efficiencies? And then if you can, for example, maybe you find out that when it rains the day after, they can't get into the field, right? Maybe maybe you see deferments. Then you take a look at what is that worth, right? Is that a big enough problem to solve? And then you can maybe build a model. It could be as simple as alerts, right? You might start by just sending weather alerts. Hey, we're expecting greater than an inch of rain in the field. Make sure that you've got, you know, equipment pre-positioned so that you minimize downtime and deferment. Yeah, I actually spent some time in North Dakota and I watched a small service company just, I shouldn't say destroy, but outsell and outdo business with their competitors because their guys would pay attention to weather and they knew when to issue chains to the four-wheel drive trucks. Mm -hmm. And when they got a black ice event, they were the only service company that could get around. Something that simple made a huge difference to that company's finance. That's right. That's right. So we're getting close to having to wind down the show it's time to actually pay the bills. But before we pay the bills, we have a product review. And so, David, you don't know this, but I just built a studio. I just bought a new house, built a studio in my house. And the problem with having a studio is that you tend to have everything on tripods, your camera, lights, and everything else. And it never fails that you trip over one, which pulls the wire of the other, and they all come falling down. And cameras are expensive. So in my studio, I mounted everything from the ceiling. 
company called Newer makes these wall mount boom arms, which are just fantastic. They're $39. They mount to the ceiling. They allow me to mount all my lights and my cameras, pull them down when I'm ready to shoot video. And when I'm not shooting video, I just push you up and it's out of head's way. It's well worth the $39. There's a link in the show notes. I will give this double thumbs up. It's made a huge difference and not much money. If you happen to have a studio or YouTube videos or whatever, take a look at this. Even my microphone now at my home office is now hanging from the ceiling, not on a swivel like it was before because it keeps it opens up my desk. And then you've heard me talk about the street team. This is our all-volunteer group. If you want to join, search Facebook for OGG and street team. We ask for hours worth of work a week. It's really helping us with our social, but if you can't do it, we get it. Life's in the way. No big deal. You get some cool swag. You get to join us at our live events, and if we're doing a conference or an expo in your geographic area, you come join us as a press team, which means you get to walk around the press pass, which is kind of cool. And then you've heard us talk about BCD Travel. They're a travel provider of choice. They make our oil and gas travel life so much easier. And they're giving away free coffee. There's a link in the show. Let's go click on it. They'll just give you free Starbucks, which I think is really cool, which is actually what I'm doing after this. And then finally, our sponsor, Nutanix, loves our audience so much. They're giving away these really cool JBL4 Flip Bluetooth speakers. I have one. It sounds phenomenal. You have to win one of these. So if you don't win one this week, you can register every week. Just go to the show notes or try to remember Nutanix.com forward slash OG Tech Podcast for the link to go register and win that. And then while you're online, go ahead and give us your email address and go to LinkedIn. Join our LinkedIn group. David, not only has this been awesome, but you would have a bunch of stuff in the future. On our other show, which just happens to be sponsored by IBM All & Gas This Week, which is the largest oil and gas podcast in the world, I've already started talking about how you and I are going to sit down and we're just going to talk about facts and we're going to shoot some video and you're going to try to convince me to change my views on climate change. And if you do, I will absolutely admit I was wrong and then I will move to that camp. So we've got a lot of buzz around this. It will be fun. We're not going to be throwing sticks and stones or anything else. It's all going to be facts. It's all going to be science. It's going to be lighthearted, but it's also going to be real. So that's going to be somewhere in the future. Whenever we get that out, we'll let people know. And then I'm actually going to see you again in Calgary in a couple of weeks, aren't I? That's right. We're going to see a lot of one another, Mark. Yeah. I love talking to you. I love the way you look at stuff. I love the way you think about stuff. And what I didn't know is that you used to be a DJ in college. So you got the perfect voice for a podcast in high school oh, in high school I'm yeah sorry. yeah yeah that's right yeah so maybe this becomes a regular deal if you have time outside your ibm job i will make the time <laughs> you're funny so david if people wanted to learn more about you where should they go they can go to my linkedin profile so just look for me david gold and then also to learn more about ibm they just of course go to ibm.com and then if they add services to the end of that then they will see they can learn all about ibm services and all the exciting things that are going on here yeah, folks, there are links in the show notes, so depending if you're on iOS or Android, either scroll up or left and you just click on instead of writing stuff down. David, this has been great. I can't wait to see you in Calgary. Thanks for joining me on the mic. Great. It's been great to be here again. Thanks, Mark. So, folks, we're making sure that you don't get left behind one episode at a time, and here are the events on deck. Hey, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck for February. We do not have any OGGN happy hours in February, but we do have an exciting event coming up in Pittsburgh. This will be our first happy hour there in March, and it will be taking place on March 25th. The location is to be determined, so be sure to follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter to keep up with uh, those announcements and to purchase tickets. The Houston API Luncheon will be on February 11th. This will be a networking event with top oil and gas business leaders, and they promise that you'll be learning something really cool. So check it out and sign up for that event. The Wildcatters Ball will be on February 7th in Houston. This ball is the primary oil and natural gas industry fundraising event for the IPAA Educational Foundation. Proceeds go toward funding the foundation's energy education programs. 
The API Energy Houston Three Gun Chapter will be on March 20th in Houston. This event fills up really quickly, so make sure to get your team entered. The best way to do so is to fax or email the form with at least a captain's name as soon as possible. If you need to wait for a check, just notate that on the bottom of the form and send it on. We will be sending Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister to Scotland, to Aberdeen, Scotland, on March 5th for DokaruCon, which is the first event of its kind. It is a conference for creating high impact sales in energy. And Mark and Patrick will be hosting a panel and recording a live podcast. If you're interested in attending this event, visit dokarucon.dokaru.com. And that is D-O-Q-A-R-U-C-O-N. That's all for this month. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to check again next month for more updates on OGGN events. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.